Welcome back to the Monitor Sports Podcast. Eric Winston Lobel here with Dan Atori. We're approaching the last week of October, Dan. Field hockey playoffs in full swing. Soccer playoffs getting underway this week. Football playoffs on the horizon. Lots of stuff to discuss um, as we near the end of October. Yeah, absolutely. Cross-country championships on Saturday. A lot of very exciting stuff uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. So we should have a great show for you today. Later, I will be joined by Concord head football coach Jim Corkum. Uh, we had a great chat. Um, it did come before Concord's collapse on Friday night against Wyndham. Uh, so why don't we start there, Dan? Concord playing Wyndham, two teams at the top of the D1 Central standings. Concord came into the game 5-2. and two. Wyndham was 4-2. and two. Uh, this was Wyndham's last game of the regular season. And Concord jumps out quickly uh, to a lead. They end up leading 21-0 at halftime. Ellie Bahuma, big shock, all three touchdowns for the Tide. The guy's just unbelievable. I mean, I was at their practice on Thursday because I'm working on a, a story about them. And just watching how he hits holes that the O-line creates or sometimes doesn't create is really incredible especially considering that he has only really been playing football for two years. He's a junior. He started his freshman year, but he broke his ankle last year. So he didn't really play at all last year. So basically two years of football and this guy's unbelievable. Um, but unfortunately for him and the rest of Concord's team, they just collapsed in the second half. Wyndham scores 30 unanswered points. Um, and I think the tide really turned in the game. So Wyndham scored, a touchdown on its first possession of the second half to make it 21-6. They missed the extra point. They got a stop went and then went back down the field, scored again, converted on a two-point try, and then recovered an onside kick. And I think that's where the momentum really uh, flipped because Concord's defense was just gassed. So Wyndham drove right down the field again. They went for two again because their kicker just looked very unreliable, took the lead, and didn't look back. And one of the things that coach Corkum said after the game was like, look, we haven't really had experience playing in tight games like this all year. I mean, they were three and six last year. Now they kind of have a target on their backs. You know, people see them on the schedule. Oh, Concord's five and one. Now Like we got to bring our a game to beat them. And he thinks, you know, Wyndham had a little more experience in that area and the offense just couldn't generate much. And, and this is something we talked about previously on the pod is just what does Concord look like when they have to play from behind? Because we haven't had to see them try to air it out. And I saw that on Friday and it didn't work so well for them. So, um, you know, I guess if you want to look at it positively, and I think that's how Corkum was like, it's good to learn these things before you get into postseason play. Right. And it's also easy when you're five and one to kind of be riding high and, you know, maybe lose a little focus this kind of hones you back in because they have another tough game against Pinkerton coming up next week. Yeah. I mean, the scheduling definitely has a lot. Um, it can impact a lot on, on the flow of the season. And like you said, and like coach Corkum said, this is not a position that the tide have been in um, for some time, but I mean, it is still pretty remarkable that, you know, one year ago, this was a team that was proud of its three wins and, and where it was. And now, you know, we're talking about their first loss in 
you know, nearly two months at, at the end of October is is pretty remarkable, that turnaround. And I think it's good that they have Pinkerton last. They've had all season to kind of build up for what's um, going to be one of the bigger games on on its schedule. So, uh, you know, so that'll be great experience to have. And and that's good because Concord's headed into the playoffs for the first time in um, many years. I think 2015 or 14 was the last time they made the playoffs. So it's been a long time and they uh, are going to have some tough games to close out the year. And and that's what you want. You want to sort of ramp up and, and prepare yourself for those occasions. Yeah. So Concord big game coming up this week against Pinkerton last regular season game before postseason, And he told his guys on Friday, Corkum did that, you know, the season's not over. I mean, it may, it may have felt like it. Cause I mean, look, like, you kind of get really excited about a game. You have a three touchdown lead at halftime. You're feeling good. And then the wheels just fall off. And sometimes that happens. And again, especially with a team that doesn't have a lot of experience playing in tight games. I mean, there's a lot of things on the margins that you have to be good at. And one of the issues Concord struggled with were was penalties. There was one drive in the second half where Concord committed four penalties in a row. Um, I think it was like holding and two false starts and a delay a game or some 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 combination similar to that and it you know they just kind of did some things that they hadn't done earlier when they were when they were winning so uh there's certainly areas to focus on uh for the tide but you know Wyndham's a good team uh you just rather not lose after having a three touchdown lead um let's move to Bo and Pembroke uh, you were at that game yesterday on Saturday. I, no, I was. I was not at that one. I was not at that one. It was you, my, were, you were writing. You're writing about it though. So yeah, I'm. I was. You were there uh, in, my, in my command center, following <laughs> along with multiple with multiple games. Um, but Pembroke won. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh goodness, Bo won. Bo won on its senior day. Um, that that stable of backs that they have. They're just you know a very powerful ground game. Ryan Lover had 140 or so yards with a touchdown. Um, a few other seniors found the end zone on the ground as well. Hollis Jones, uh, who's part of that, that two headed monster with, with lover, he found the end zone as well. So that puts Bo at seven and one, and they, uh, are probably going to, uh, they're looking at the number three seed for the playoffs. If, uh, if everything were to end today, that's where they would be, um, likely where they will be at the end of the season. So Bo's looking at hosting uh, at least one, uh, at least one playoff game. Um, if all goes well, but you know, Bo, what we expect, very strong, very strong game on the ground. Um, and also the other game I was paying attention to Hanover at Guilford Belmont, Guilford Belmont undefeated at eight and oh, still undefeated. They had a couple of weeks where they um, did not, did not play their best. They had a couple of players that they were not utilizing fully um, sort of as a preventative me- measure for injuries. But, you know, a year ago, Guilford Belmont, had its first winning season and its first playoff appearance in the, I think, seven-year history of the co-op. Now they're 8-0, and and they're in the driver's seat for the number one seed in Division Two. And uh, this was uh, the win over Hanover yesterday was big. Um, as strong as Bo and Guilford Belmont are, I think conventional wisdom was that Sauhegan and Pelham and Hanover um, – who are all five and zero oh at, um, at one point? Um, the in the Division Two West side of things, I think conventional wisdom was that Division Two West is a bit stronger, um, and that everyone else is kind of playing for second behind 
behind those teams. But uh, Guilford wins its crossover game with Hanover, and now they're they're eight and zero, um, and they they want that undefeated season. They want that number one seed so they can host as many as many playoff games as they can. So those are the two those are the two games that I was following. Um, I did not follow this one, but John Stark four wins in a row. Um, Started out 0-4, now they're 4-4. Uh, it was another, um, and this was not close. It was a 50 to nothing win over winless Lebanon. So another huge win for John Stark. I did not see any stats on that, but I can only assume that it was there. It was uh, John Stark's grounds game once again. So I don't think John Stark has, uh, has a shot at the playoffs. I think John Stark would need to beat Sauhegan next week and Sauhegan is seven and one. Um, so that would be, that would be a, a tall order for the generals, but you know, look, they've got momentum on their side. They've, they've been playing very well. They have a strong ground game. Their lines on both sides of the football have been, uh, have been outstanding and have been getting a lot of recognition. So, uh, you know, look, if John Stark keeps it up, maybe they have an upset over Sauhegan and they, uh, they sneak in with that eighth and, eighth and final spot um but either way i mean they've won more games than they have in the previous i believe three seasons combined at this point um so really uh, you know a, a great season for them coach kershaw and and the generals it's really been a, a great turnaround for them so eric one week left in the regular season for football and last year we only had two teams in both of the lowest seed Probably going to have Guilford Belmont in at number one in Division Two, Bo at number three in Division Two, Concord. I think right now maybe they're ninth, uh, eighth or ninth in Division One. Um, so with the way the 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 buys and the prelims work out, they may or may not be hosting, but uh, looking like a playoff team. And uh, Bishop Brady probably going to hang on to the fourth and final spot in Division Four. Um, so we've doubled the amount of. Uh, playoff teams in in our coverage area for this year and i'm very excited about it hopefully we're watching some some playoff football in november that would be nice one thing i do know is we are watching playoff field hockey right now um bishop brady pulling off a big upset the other day that was on friday um they were the seven seed they beat number two newfound on friday two to one uh laura yap scored both goals for Bishop Brady and now Dan, they're headed to the semifinals on Tuesday. Yeah, uh, we were not at that game, but our friend Josh Spalding from the Salmon Press was there. Uh, he covers Newfound, and he said that the Bishop Brady goalie Ava Archambault had uh, had a phenomenal game, and and she made a lot of fantastic saves early on uh, after Bishop Brady took a quick two nothing lead. So, um, you know, Bishop Brady they've been finalists for the last couple of years um, in Division Three. They were a, a finalist last year uh and then they were the the champions in in 2020 so uh they've been here before a lot of the players have gone deep into the tournament and uh coach kelly owen has been with this team for a long time and they've made the the finals several times in her in her time at bishop brady so uh they'll be ready they'll be ready and they'll know what to expect. Uh, they're going to be against number three, Newport in the earlier game on Tuesday at Bill ball stadium. Also heading to the semifinals 
in uh, field hockey. In Division Two, John Stark, a 3-0 win over Hanover yesterday, heading to the first Final Four in program history. They've already broken the, the program record for the most wins in a season. Um, they have 14, so that breaks the record they set last year with 12. And now they're headed to the Final Four. Um, so that's going to be a big game. They're going to be playing Hollis Brookline in the second semifinal on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock at Bill Ball Stadium in Exeter. And Eric, I was talking to Coach Pelletier about this because I found this was interesting. Um, a lot of the, the teams uh, in the area, in our coverage area, do not have turf fields. They play on grass, and that's something that has uh, sort of been a, a challenge. Um, Bo played on turf against Hollis Brookline um, at a neutral location at the Dairy Field School to end the regular season, and, and Hollis Brookline uh, exploited that um, advantage there. Um, and then uh, again uh, against Pembroke um, on on Hollis Brookline's home turf, uh, coach Steve Langevin of Pembroke had said that uh, it was just harder for the uh, Pembroke to keep up against Hollis Brookline playing on turf. So that that can definitely come into play. Coach Pelletier, on the other hand, uh, he welcomes it, and and he says the girls welcome it. Uh, although John Stark is on a uh, they are a grass field team. That's where they play all their home games. They prefer turf and they play better on turf, even though that is not where they are accustomed to playing. Um, Coach Peltier mentioned that uh, I believe that the phrase he used was it's more of a true game when it's played on turf that um, better uh, allows teams and players to utilize their skill um, and their speed, which is something that John Stark has a lot of. Uh, he's he's highlighted their quickness, especially on defense all, all year, um, as opposed to grass, or sometimes if you hit a bad patch, there could be fluky things where a ball jumps over a stick and, and little things like that that you don't see on turf. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, John Stark, they're, they're ready for this. They're ready for it, and that should be a good game. Again, that'll be the second semifinal on Wednesday night. So already a historic season for John Stark field hockey, but uh, they're, they're eager for it to continue and they're very excited about their first final four. Yeah. The, the point you made about uh, turf was something I think coach Pelletier had mentioned to me a few, when I was at their game, regular season game early, a few weeks ago, um, because they, I think they just played on turf, so they may have practiced at a turf field just to get ready. But as you said, it kind of helps eliminate the random things that can happen on a grass field compared to turf and really just lets the most skilled team have the bigger advantage. But, uh, I mean, generals have been waiting for this. They, they've been uh, anticipating a, a deep playoff run all season, and now it's here, and uh, they're two wins away, so... Um, we'll have to see how they respond in as they continually will face tougher competition. Let's move to girls soccer, Dan. Um, I spent a lot of time at Memorial Field this past week. Uh, I was there Thursday as well for Concord Girls Soccer. They closed out uh, the regular season with a 4-2 win over Wyndham. And Avery Fitcher scored all four goals for the Tide, who finished the season 8-7-1 and and looked to be the number eight seed in the D1 playoffs. And 
it was wild because Concord has 13 seniors on its girls soccer team. And I thought that was a lot. And then I heard that the boys soccer team has had 18 seniors. So uh, that's pretty wild too. But um, for the girls soccer team, they think that they're peaking at the right time. They had a two game losing streak um, about a week and a half ago, but they, they won their last two games of the regular season. A couple of the players told me that they think that they're, you know, starting to peak at the right time. Um, head coach Andrew Matarazzo had also said, like, you don't want to be playing your best soccer in late August or September. Like, this is when you want to be playing your best soccer. And he doesn't think that they're all the way there yet, but they're certainly closer to that than they were a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, is Concord going to go on a deep run in the playoffs? You know, probably not the likely outcome, but they are uh, starting to click on all cylinders better than they were earlier in the season when they were very up and down. So um, the game, the game on Thursday was interesting because Wyndham has not had a very good year. Um, so they, this was it for them, but there was a lot of intensity in that game on Thursday. I mean, they were playing under the lights on the football field at Memorial field uh, as opposed to the soccer field. Um, and the intensity level was, was really high. And um, maybe that'll, that's good for Concord just to kind of get that experience playing with that level of intensity going into the playoffs and in the second half, they conquered possessed the ball in the Wyndham end pretty much the entire time. I mean, they were, Wyndham had a couple of chances. They scored on a penalty kick late in the second half, but other than that Concord's offense was really just relentless against Wyndham's defense. And uh, it led to a lot of opportunities and ultimately the four two win, but I got to imagine it's got to feel pretty good to score four goals on your senior night. I would imagine that's a pretty that's a pretty darn good feeling to have, um, especially I, I, I covered uh, Concord for one of their earlier games. It was not their first game. It was maybe their third or fourth game of the season. Um, but Coach Matarazzo was saying that their, you know, their their main goal moving forward was finding, you know, combinations up top to score goals, much like with the Concord boys team. That was sort of the theme um, of that interview with with the coach. Um, and it seems like they're finding it. They have a lot of talent on the roster. They have a lot of experience on the roster and uh, coach Matarazzo is not uh, afraid to try new things and, and move all of those, move all of that talent around. Um, and, and they had a lot of brand new defenders. They had a very young back line that was, that was starting to come together. So uh, he, I don't think he's surprised by this. He had indicated at the beginning of the year, he thought this might be, you know, where, where things go, but he's never uh, underestimated the talent um, and and the potential of this roster. And, you know, in division one, where all the teams are going to be pretty good, uh, all the playoff teams are going to be pretty good. And and to a degree are all going to have a pretty deep bench and there's a lot of parity, you know, anyone can be anyone on any given night. Um, So that will be something very exciting to see uh, how that plays out moving forward. Uh, while you were at Memorial Field, Eric, I was on Clinton Street at the Center Point Athletic Fields covering the Concord Christian soccer doubleheader against Pittsfield. Um, again, Concord Christian, uh, the smallest school, uh, maybe they're the second. I don't know if they're bigger than Pittsfield right now. But either way, the two smallest schools that we cover um, going head to head. So they're not schools that we see play as often. But 
I was very impressed. The Conquer Christian teams are very good. The girls with an eight nothing win over Pittsfield um, to close out the season. The Conquer Christian girls are 12 and four, likely the number six seed for the um, playoffs. But, you know, with Division four, the seedings, I don't want to say they don't matter, but, but they don't necessarily matter as much just because with Division four, you've got a lot of the schools don't see each other just because you have a lot of the really small schools in the North country that kind of play each other up North. And then a lot of the smaller division four schools in the South that tend to play each other um, and without a ton of overlap in between, just because of, of busing and all that. So the seeds and can be deceptive, but conquer Christian girls look very good. Um, they use the same strength as they did last year when they won the basketball championship. They know each other very well and, and they know how to use each other's strengths on the field very well. And they're very versatile roster and, and share the ball. And I was very impressed with how, with how they did um, in their season finale. And Pittsfield is, you know, some of these smaller schools, they had Pittsfield had a seventh grade goalie. Um, they had Savannah Shag and a seventh grader in net against you know, some very talented upperclassmen, you know, juniors and seniors. So, um, but coach Doug Cheney was a pleasure to talk to and he feels uh, confident, you know, that his girls are, will continue to learn. They're very eager um, to learn the game and, and they had really good attitudes. I know losing eight, nothing in your final game of the season is not what you would want. Um, but, you know, they played hard. They were, you know, they were good sports about it and they, you know, they fought the whole time and, and they're eager to keep learning and, keep growing as they as they get older so conquer christian girls heading to the playoffs um now monday the brackets are released so these by no means are official this is just from what i can glean um by looking at the nhiaa website but it looks like for the playoffs which will begin on tuesday after the release of the brackets on monday will have conquered in division one likely in that number eight spot Division two, Bo, Pembroke, Co-Brown, MV, and John Stark uh, all in. And I believe they're all in the top eight, uh, if I counted correctly. So definitely going to have, uh, the law of averages, you know, tells us we're going to be seeing those double locals um, maybe, you know, as early as the quarterfinal round. And that would be, that would be very exciting. Always produce exciting matches and some interesting results. And in Division Three, it looks like we'll have Hopkinton, Bishop Brady, Kearsarge, and Hillsborough Deering. So a lot of area teams on the pitch in the soccer playoffs. And for the boys, the same thing. Um, Concord uh, in Division One uh, with a low seed, but they they should make it in. Um, Co Brown, MV, and Bo making it in Division Two. Um, Division Three. Belmont, Bishop Brady, Winnesquam, Hillsborough, Deering, and Kearsarge all making it in. Hopkinton is on the bubble. They were tied with another team. I did not do the mental gymnastics of, of all the tiebreaker scenarios to see um, if, if they would get in. Um, but Hopkinton, uh, the only one of our area teams that might not make it in in uh, Division Three on the boys' side. And in Division Four, Eric I did not know how much we had overlooked this. On the podcast last week, I was talking about Conquer Christian being uh, undefeated, referring to the girls' team. Uh, that was a mistake on my part. That was the boys' team. The boys' team, a 13-1 to victory over Pittsfield to close out the season. They end 15 
wins, no losses, and one tie as they head into the postseason with the number one seed. And the Kingsmen have outscored their opponents 106 to 2. Uh, one of That's the goals great. that they allowed 106 to 2 combined score of all 16 regular season matches. One of those goals was scored by Pittsfield's Parker Clark on Friday night. Um, and in talking to head coach Craig Anthony, um, they scored 13, but it was that one they allowed that is uh, that's that's sticking with them moving forward. Um, goalkeeper uh, Jaden Young and, and the entire back line for Conquer Christian, very strong. Um, and, and both Conquer Christian teams have been improving steadily over the years. Um, they're similar teams where they, 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 it's a small community. They know each other really well. Some of them have been playing together for a long time. Four of the boys for Conquer Christian have been playing together every year since kindergarten, and they're all seniors now. So um, this has been, in a way, a long time coming. And and both of these programs looking to sort of take the next level from being, you know, a good team in Division Four to you know, making deep runs into, into championship games. Um, but I was very impressed with, with the Conquer Christian teams um, from when I, I saw them on Friday night. So, so that's it. It was a busy few days here, um, but we are now in the playoffs uh, with the exception of football, which has one more week. We are in the playoffs for all of our sports. Yeah. I mean, it's getting busy. Best time of the fall, right? Uh, we got, uh, as you said, a lot of area teams that are looking to try to make deep playoff runs. So should be some good stories, hopefully, that come out of that. Um, I know you wanted to talk quickly before we get to the Corkum interview about cross-country. Absolutely. Always, always eager to talk about cross-country, Eric, as as you know, as you know, run it, the running sports. It's, it's where I get really, really excited. Um, but uh, Capital Area... Cross-country championships are on Thursday. It was the 45th annual running of this event. Uh, the only event, pretty much the only event, uh, where every single team uh, in that sport in our area competes together. Uh, with the exception of Code Brown, all of our area cross-country programs go head-to-head, which is very unique and, and very exciting. Uh, and the Conquer teams swept the, the team standings. The Conquer girls won their 11th capital area title in a row the conquer boys with their sixth um guildford's patrick gandini winning the boys race in a new course record and bo's Susanna's on uh continues uh, a very impressive season she won uh the girls race neither of them were particularly close um both of those runners gandini and zon won by a minute to a minute and a half each um so very decisive victories for both of them and that sets up some exciting stuff for Saturday. Uh, we have three divisions competing at Dairyfield Park in Manchester on Saturday for cross-country titles. And all three divisions, there is a very strong likelihood of having a champion or a runner-up team um, in Division One. Um, both coaches for Concord, um, Zach Project for the boys and Ellie Davis for the girls, they have both said that it's wide open. Um, there, there are a lot of teams in the hunt for that title and Concord is right up there with the best of them. Um, every place counts. So that, that could potentially be very, um, very close team scores that could have Concord in, in the top couple of spots 
in division two, there's Cole Brown, uh, who's, who's dominated, um, for the last few years and, and Aiden Cox, the, the heavy favorite to win on the boys side. And for the girls, you know, Susanna Zahn's been running out of her mind this season. She's, uh, is the favorite to win the division two girls race and, uh, teammate Maya Brochu, uh, 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 usually a top five finisher. They have the best one-two punch in the state, and that could mean Bo has a, a very high finish there as well. And in Division Three, Hopkinson girls undefeated against um, undefeated against Division Three competition. Hopkinson girls only lost by Concord by two points at the Capital Area Invite. It was a, the girls' team race was very intriguing with with Concord, Bow, and Hopkinton, each one of the top teams or the top team in their respective divisions. And Hopkinton, really tiny Division three school, almost broke Concord's streak. Um, it was very very close. So Hopkinton looking to be um, the the odds-on favorite to win the division three girls race and, and looking to be one of the top teams at the meet of champions when that comes up on, I believe that is November 5th um, is the, is yep. November 5th is the day of the meet of champions, which will have the top teams from all of the different NHIAA divisions. So that is where I will be on Saturday. Very excited to head over to Dairyfield park. And uh, I am expecting that we will have a lot of, um, champions and and runner-ups to talk about both individually and uh on the team side of things as well well for all of our big running fans out there that is your weekly cross-country roundup courtesy of danatori um let's uh let's get to my interview with uh, conquered head football coach jim corkum and then we'll come back and wrap up Welcome back to the Monitor Sports Podcast. Very excited to have Concord football head coach Jim Corkum joining us today. Coach, thanks so much for taking some time to join the podcast, talk some Concord football. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. So you guys have had quite the turnaround this year, 5-1 uh, and one entering play on Friday. Uh, what's just stood out to you the most about the team's success so far? I think uh, we can't discount um, – the road, the great senior leadership that has just taken over for us this year. Um, we're re- very, very fortunate to have a large senior class um, and a lot of seniors who got a lot of quality playing time last year as juniors. Um, got to see a lot of varsity action um, and really got to get a sense of what it takes um, to win a football game in Division One, And um, I think having some of that confidence building in through the summer, through um, our conditioning program and our weight training and, and all of our other summer workouts, um, I think they've come in um, just really believing that they, that they can be a good football team and, and make some noise within this division. Now, this has been a quite a quick turnaround for you. This is only your second year as head coach. I know you were an assistant coach previously, but... I mean, you mentioned the leadership. What other things do you think have gone into this rebuild going so quickly for you guys? Uh, I think really um, going into, you know, when I when I first took the position, I can go back to my interview and, and thinking, you know, asking what I was going to do. And, um, you know, a big piece of what I wanted to come in is really – in, in a way, it might sound ridiculous, but but simplify things a little bit. Um, in in some way, in some ways, uh, sometimes less is more. Um, and so, picking out, you know, establishing our identity, and getting really, really good 
at um, the things that we want to do well, you know, getting downhill and running the football and controlling the football and, and being a solid tackling defensive team. Um, you know, if we could really focus on those fundament- fundamentals and be, um, you know, one of the better teams with those things, I felt we were going to have um, success. Uh, you know, it, I, I think I forget if I, I read it in a book or if I, I learned at a conference, um, but, you know, I listened to a coach one time say, you know, when, you, when your kids um, are not doing as much, um, when they can focus on a few things, they feel more confident. When they feel more confident, they play faster. And when they play faster, you're going to win games. And I, and I think that's, I, I really think that's true. And that's what we've been trying to do. So I want to ask about the running game. I mean, Ellie Bahuma has been incredible this year. It seems like he's running for three touchdowns and over 200 yards every week. And I found out the other day that he's only played, this is only his third year playing football and he was hurt last year. Um, so like, what's it, what's it been like to see a guy like that who had no football experience and now is one of the best players in division one? Yeah, I guess Ellie's pretty good, huh? Um, (laughs) he's, uh, he's just a phenomenal kid, like just all around football aside. Um, you know, I see him in the hallways every day at school. He's just, he's a great student. He's humble. Um, everybody likes him. Um, but he is, as, as everyone's seeing, he's a very talented kid. Um, he just has unbelievable vision. Um, and I think just some of his instincts and his balance as he, you know, breaks through the line of scrimmage and what he's able to see. Um, and like you said, as he's really only been playing football for two years. So the way he just naturally knows when he needs to slow down, when he needs to speed up, um, when he might need to just lower his shoulder, run ahead for power, when he might need to make a cut. Um, those are some things that I, for some guys takes a long, long time to develop and get that feel for. And Ellie has just, you know, developed it very, very quickly. Um, if you watch our games or watch our film, he's got this, you know, just natural talent of being able to, um, it, it seems like he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't lose speed running north and south as he's moving east and west and making cuts. Um, and I think that's a really, um, you know, dangerous combination for him. Um, he's a super smart kid. Um, you know, he, he, we go through new plays. He knows exactly what he's supposed to do through a bunch of different looks. So um, he has just been, um, you know, he is, he, he's really sparked our offense this year um, and, and has, you know, everybody believing in him and what he can do. I was going to ask you about, like, his vision because just watching him, I mean, at your practice the other day and, and just watching him in games. I mean, it looks like you're playing Madden and, and you're put, you're hitting the right trigger to like accelerate through the holes. I mean, that's how quickly he finds those openings and, and, and hits them. Like I imagine it's something you can't really teach, right? No, exactly. It comes down all about that vision. And I think his confidence as a runner, he's got, you know, great, a great forward lean as he's running forward. And I think he knows if he can just make, um, get a little separation between him and the defender that he's going to run through any arm tackle. Um, you know, you look at him on the field and, um, you know, he's kind of a shorter, stocky kid. He's, he's very, very strong um, and uh, very, very strong in his lower body too. Um, you know, a story I've, I've told some people about Ellie is, uh, you know, he really spent a lot of time in the weight room and, and making sure he's getting to our workouts. Um, and at one point this summer, it might have been July, um, and, and I woke up and I had a, um, a message from Ellie and I, and I think I saw it was from like one thirty in the morning. Um, and he was just writing me a, a message to let me know he hit a 400 plus pound, uh, deadlift, um, at the gym at one of the 24 hour gyms. And so, um, just goes to show like, you know, he's just is very, very dedicated. Young man. I heard from some of the guys that before the season started, um, you invited them all over to your house for a, a pool party or barbecue. Is that right? 
Yeah, so we, um, it was during one of our, it was as we were coming into um, August, and it was probably about a week from when we were going to be officially opening camp. And um, looking at the extended forecast, it was during one of those, um, one of those weeks where it seemed to be, you know, 95 and 90% humidity every single day. And um, so looking at what the weather was going to be and um, knowing we had a workout instead, um, we thought, you know, let's do a little bit of have some team building. Let's, let's have the team over and, um, you know, let them, let them swim, let them have, eat some food and just, you know, really get it, get them, give them a chance to connect, um, you know, outside, outside of football and just as, as people. Um, and so, um, we had, <laughs> we had a lot of kids in my pool at one point, uh, but you know, everything worked out. Okay. Now, from talking to them, it seemed like they, they were saying that they never really had anything like that before. Like why, why is having that off the field, uh, team building and stuff like that so important, especially at, you know, their age when you can maybe kind of lose sight of the fact that there, there, there are more things important than just football. Yeah. And that will, unfortunately for this group, um, you know, COVID has really kind of made those types of things take a backseat over the last few years. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's important to remember at the end of the day, these are, these are kids, um, and they want to do kid things and they want to have fun and they want to enjoy, um, each other outside of, um, you know, sometimes the grind of what can be a, a football practice and getting ready for a season. Um, so I think making sure that, you know, that's something that's not lost in, you know, the competitiveness and making sure you're ready for games, which is important. Um, but also making sure it's a fun experience and the kids are enjoying each other. Cause those are the things anybody who's, who's played and, and I know it goes for a lot of sports, but anybody who's, who's played, you don't, you know, years later, you're not going to be remembering necessarily the, the games or the scores of games and moments in the games. It might, there might be some of that, but the things you remember are the times you spent with your teammates. Um, and I think it's important not to lose sight of that. You, you briefly alluded to it earlier, but you are an assistant principal at Concord High, and that's not super typical to see a, you know, an administrator who's a, a coach for any sport. Can you just talk about like, you know, how that maybe helps your job and, and maybe helps develop your relationships with the players a little bit more than maybe just being a teacher because teachers may only have a certain fraction of the kids in their class. Yeah, I can tell you uh, the fall's busy uh, for sure. Um, but I, I, I love it. Um, I think it, it allows the kids, I think, to see me in, in a different light um, outside of the school day when we're out on the practice field. And it's a good opportunity for, you know, to build relationships with kids around um, something that we're, we're, we're all passionate about um, in, in football. Um, I think what's been really helpful is, is being able to um, just have a sense of, you know, what what's going on with the kids during the school day um because you know at the end of the day playing high school football is great but yeah you need to make sure that you're you know you graduate from high school and have a direction um so really being able to kind of get us get a sense and, and and talk with them about um you know their academics and where they're going as um as students um but also making sure you know you kind of got your pulse on um behaviors and who's coming late who's you know, might, um, might be rolling in the, rolling to school a little late, um, and making sure you can, you can kind of nip those in the bud right away. Um, and so the kids, I, you know, I've talked to them, I've talked to the parents, you know, if there's going to be any misbehavior or anything like that, I'm going to hear about it right away. Um, so it's important that we are, you know, representing our, representing the program as, as well as we can at all times. So, um, that's been, you know, that's been a, a good part of the job, but I can, I can say it's, um, it definitely keeps me busy. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that's got to be, you got to be putting in some extended hours during the fall. 
Yeah, a lot of weekend work. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, I said before, you're this is your second year as a head coach. What do you think you've learned um, over these first two years of, of being in this new position? Um, I I think the um, you know, making sure that you have a foundation laid, um, that everything else can be built on. And, uh, and we started to do that last year. And I think we started to see, um, the positives that start to come out with some, with a, with a couple of wins. Um, but I think laying that foundation of, um, really it's a lot of non-football things. And we talk to the kids a lot about that, um, laying that foundation of being disciplined and being committed, um, being a, being a tough player, both physically and mentally. Um, those are the things that then the football stuff can start to be built on. Um, I think if you're just trying to build, um, a program or build, um, you know, success just based on your, your football talent level, it may work here and there, but, um, eventually if you don't have some of those just necessity items underneath things might crumble. So, you know, we're still very early in it. It's not to say that it's, it's perfect right now by any means and that it's a finished product and it probably never will be. Um, but really just preaching that, that message to the kids of what our identity is and what we're going to build everything up on, um, and trying to get as many kids involved in playing football as we can. Um, you know, the, the, the last two years, um, two springs, I've, I've tried to spend a lot of time down at Rumlet Middle School um, and trying to promote our program and trying to get um, the middle schoolers interested in coming up and playing. Um, I think the, the Concord Capitals have some some decent numbers, but, you know, I know that just youth football in general around the country, um, you know, some of those participation numbers are, are not as high as they used to be. Um, so making sure that we have um, some good feeder some good feeder systems coming up. Um, we, this last summer, we did our first uh, like youth, a free youth football clinic, open to anyone from you know grade kindergarten through eight, um, just to really start getting that excitement around the program and, and making sure um, you know kids are excited to to play football at Concord High School one day. Yeah, I think um, one of the one of our first, I think our first guest on the podcast was Dennis Pelletier, the field hockey coach at, at John Stark, and he basically started their field hockey youth program from scratch, and now they're undefeated and they're gonna, they're mm-hmm. top seed in the playoffs. Like, can you talk about why it's so important for you as the varsity coach to be involved with those young kids as they're first learning the game? Yeah, I mean, because eventually they're all going to be, or hopefully they're all going to be coming up through through Concord High School. And I think, um, I I don't know field hockey incredibly well. My daughter plays, and I'm still a little confused in the rules every once in a while. I think Um, we all are, to some extent. I think think football is one of those sports, um, you know, maybe a little different from baseball or hockey, where you really got to be playing that sport from, from a very young age. Um, football is one of those sports where you can, I mean, Ellie Bohuma, perfect example. Um, you can pick up, um, you know, maybe your freshman year of high school. And so um, if there's, for whatever reason, you know, kids aren't playing the Pop Warner, um, we still have a lot of good athletes and a lot of kids that are coming up through it, through the city um, that I want playing football for me one day. Um, and so if we can try to get them to see and get them to believe that like, you can absolutely be a good football player, you can be a good athlete. Um, and that's another thing that we talk about is that we love, I, I love having multi-sport athletes in the program. I think it just serves us so well. Um, but football is, is something that, um, that you can be successful with, even if you haven't played it before. Um, so we, we've had a lot of success. Um, we started a, a middle school, middle school flag football the last two years, um, 
and we've done that in the spring, kind of leading up to our sign-up. So we've been able to get some good um, freshman football numbers. Um, and just that the freshman, the I'm sorry, the flag football program in itself, um, we have over 100 middle schoolers sign up for it. Um, so there is interest. The kids do like to play. Um, you know, it's not, it, it's flag football. So, you know, there's not a lot of contact, but it's, it's good for them to just start to get to learn some little basics. And um, we always bring, you know, our varsity players down to help referee and help coach. Um, so getting them intermingled with the younger kids and someone they can look up to. Um, I think we're starting to see some benefits of that. Um, you know, we have a sophomore class right now who are the first ones to do that at the middle school. And I've, we, we got a lot, a lot of talented kids. We have a really great sophomore class and same thing with this, um, this freshman class right now. I mean, in, in the last two years, we've had about 30, 30 plus kids sign up for freshman football, which um, I don't think is a coincidence from that in the five football program. So Jim, last thing I wanted to ask you is just, I mean, you went to Concord high, you played football there. You, you work there now as an, as an assistant principal, the, 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 community obviously means a lot to you and you have your hands in a lot of different areas of, of, you know, academically and athletically in the area. Like, what does it mean to you to, to have that large of a role in the Concord area? I, I just, I mean, honestly, I just feel really, really fortunate to be able to do it. Um, you know, I, I, I love working with kids. I mean, that's just always, um, something I've enjoyed doing and to be able to do it in in this way, you know, as an assistant principal with so many kids from so many different walks of life. Um, and then to also throw in um, the coaching aspect that I love to do. I just feel very fortunate to be able to be able to do that, um, especially for the kids in this community. Um, re- it's a really, really special place. Uh, it's probably why I've never left. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it really is just a privilege. Uh, we just have so many great, great kids, uh, great families and great support um, that it's just so far the experience is, has been better than I could imagine. So um, really, really enjoying myself, but also knowing how lucky I am to be able to do it. All right, Jim Corkum, head coach, Concord football. Coach, thanks so much for stopping by. Best of luck the rest of the season. Not a problem. Appreciate it, Eric. All right, Dan, uh, Coach Corkum, uh, always a great guy to talk to. My favorite story that he mentioned in the, when I was at practice on Thursday, a couple of the players talked about it also, was the fact that he invited all the guys over to his house for a pool party and barbecue before the season. Players had said they have never done anything like that before, so great team-building activity before the season started. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, that's a common theme that we see with a lot of these with a lot of these coaches. And we talked about a lot of this stuff with Coach Pelletier and in episode one. But it, it's it's not always about X's and O's and schematics. That has a lot to do with it. But but with all of these coaches that, that we that we talk about with some of these big turnarounds, it's it's not just investment in the sport, but it's investment in in their community and. Coach Corkum um, has done a lot, lot for Concord High School and and that athletic community and uh, and it's and it's shown. I mean, it's it's just you know it's it's mind boggling looking at two years ago. This was a winless team. You know, last year they were proud of of three. I don't want to say proud of three, but they were they were happy with with where they were improving um, at that point. And now, you know, they're you know, they're losing to one of the better teams in division one. And it's, uh, 
you know, they, they, they don't, they're not satisfied and, and they have very high expectations for themselves. So it's truly remarkable how, how the mindset uh, has changed so much in the last two years. And I think speaks to what a great job um, coach Corkum and, and the players have done um, in the last two years uh, really with that, with that growth mindset and, and improvement in such a quick timeline. I mean, two years ago from winless to, you know, a top playoff contender is, is pretty remarkable no matter what the sport is or, or who you are. So um, that was cool to hear from coach Corkum and, and hear more about that process. Absolutely. So thank you to coach Corkum for joining the podcast. Uh, Dan, great to go around the horn with everything as you always do. Things are getting busier um, and we're doing our best to cover as much of it as possible. So uh, couldn't do it without all your, uh, your assistance so you oh well so thank you and eric you're you're you've learned a lot you know you're this week you'll be learning all about billball stadium and exeter and and some of these other uh neutral venues that we don't get to very often but it's exciting i i always love playoffs in the fall it's really fun and you know this year we've got a lot of teams going uh that look to be going into the playoffs and going deeper than before, which is uh, not necessarily where we were at this time last year. So that always makes it very exciting to have those local rooting interests as we head into November. Yeah, absolutely. A good thing to be be looking forward to for sure. I know I'm excited to, to get to cover all, all these different teams and, and their biggest games of the year. So for Dan, I'm Eric. Thanks so much for joining us on the Monitor Sports Podcast. We will talk to you next week.